Well, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the ways that you've been working this last week. And thank you that as we turn to you now and and ask you to work through your word, we know that you will do that as well. And I pray that you would let your word be powerful in our hearts to encourage us, to strengthen us, to show us more clearly who you are, to strengthen us in our prayer lives, and that you would meet all the different, very different needs here. We're a very diverse group, and you know all the needs that are here. Would you use your word? Would you help me? Give me special things to say that would touch the needs that are here. I need your help this morning, Lord. And we all need your help. And you love to help us. (laughs) You love to help us. And so come and do that now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're starting a new series. Uh, If you got the email, calling it Authentic Prayer Insights uh, from the Psalms. And here's what I'm longing the Lord will do. I'm praying for this. I'm longing for this for my heart and for us as a church that our prayer lives will be deepened and strengthened powerfully so that as we head into the fall, we'll be praying more frequently and um, meaningfully and authentically and and more effectively as well. That's what I'm praying for. And this is really crucial. Prayer is crucial for us because I just thought about putting it this way. I mean, prayer is to your spiritual life like breathing is uh, to your physical life and health, right? I mean, physically, if you breathe shallowly and infrequently, only occasionally, right, then, you know, you're going to be at best weak, if not like unconscious or something, right? And same is true spiritually. If, if your prayer life is shallow, if you only pray like in shallow ways and it's, and it's not very frequent, then at best you're going to be really weak spiritually. But on the other hand, if you, if you breathe deeply, right, and frequently, all this oxygen just flowing to your cells and they're all happy and they're all energized, you know, you're going to have energy and you're going to be powerful and you're going to be feeling good. And, and the same is true spiritually. When you pray deeply and frequently, like the power of the Holy Spirit flows through your spiritual life and you will be energized and empowered and, and you'll, you'll be close to the Lord. Now, don't you want your spiritual life to be energized and empowered and close to the Lord? Okay, let's work on that for the rest of this summer. All right? I'd like you to turn to Psalm chapter 63. If you need a Bible, uh, just go ahead and raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. I like each of you to have, as I always say every Sunday, I like each of you to have the Bible open in front of you so you can follow along. Psalm 63 is on page 479 in the Bibles that we're passing out. Now here's how I'm going to develop this series, Lord willing. Each Sunday, I'm going to focus on one particular aspect of prayer that we see illustrated in the book of Psalms, like confessing or thanking or asking. Okay, many different aspects of prayer. And I'm going to find one psalm that highlights that aspect of prayer. And we'll focus on that psalm together, working through that psalm, digging in, focusing on that aspect, 
and other lessons about prayer that, that we see from that one psalm. And so this morning, the aspect of prayer that I want us to start off with is that of seeking. Seeking God. And that's what David is doing here in Psalm 63. Now when you start reading, right there, we see what condition David is in. Notice the very beginning, the the title says, A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Okay, so David is not in a plush palace in Jerusalem. He is out in the wilderness. We're talking wilderness, okay, like somewhere between Fremont and Modesto or something like that, okay, or maybe even down like Morgan Hill. No, no, anyway, uh, wilderness, okay? So out in the wilderness, and it's not a pretty picture. He's fleeing for his life. Either, we aren't sure, but it's either from Saul. Saul was king before David was. Saul disobeyed God. God removed Saul from being king, raised up David to be king, but Saul was jealous and wanted to kill David so Saul could stay being king. So Saul had some soldiers hunting down David. Might have been Saul, or it might have been David fleeing from Absalom, his son, who rebelled against him, wanted to take over kingship of the kingdom, and raised up some soldiers to go and kill his father so that he could become king. So David is in the wilderness, fleeing for his life. But interestingly enough, that's not the focus of his prayer. Not the main focus, I should say, of his prayer. Look at where he focuses his prayer in verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The main thing David is feeling here is thirst for God. He's longing for God. His main longing is not for his physical life. You can see in verse 5, he says, your steadfast love is better than life. He's seeking something more important to him than his physical life. He's seeking God. He's thirsting for God. He's fleeing for his life, but what he's thirsting for is God. You know, what, what does it mean to thirst for God? Well, it, it means that in some ways, God is like water. Okay, right? Um, think about your physical body. Your physical body has been created so that if you go for a length of time without drinking water, things will start to, to go wrong. You'll start to feel uncomfortable. You'll start to feel thirsty, right? And when you get thirsty, you know, you're, you're, you're getting thirsty, um, you know, you could sit down and watch TV. It's not going to solve the problem. You could read a book. It's not going to solve the problem. Call a friend, it's not going to solve the problem. When you're thirsty, you need one thing, liquid, okay? You need water. And when you, when you are thirsty and you drink water, then you're satisfied, your thirst is quenched. Okay, right? That's, that's how it works with our physical bodies. And I experienced that just like two weeks ago. Okay, out, Jan and I were in Vail, Colorado, and... Many of you know I love to ride a mountain bike, and it's really cool what they do. You know, Vail's a total ski place, but during the summer, they turn the, these amazing ski trails into mountain bike trails, spectacular mountain bike trails. And so I just had to try this out. So one afternoon, I rented a mountain bike and, uh, and uh, 
took off, and it's just amazing. It's, it's uphill, of course. Um, but it was an hour of, of, of green meadows and just like bursting forth with wildflowers. I mean, yellow and orange and purple and blue. Hardly saw anybody. Snow-capped mountains around, blue skies. It was just amazing. But it was an hour of uphill, and it was hot, okay? And so when I, after the hour, I was like feeling really thirsty, and I was thankful that I brought a bottle of water along with me. And so when I stopped at the end of that hour, and I just I polished off the bottle of water, and I was just felt so good, you know, because before when you're thirsty, you're not feeling good, your body's saying something's wrong, you know, drink something quickly, and you drink something, and you're satisfied. Okay, that's how our bodies were made to work. Now, the exact same thing is true with God. Just like your body was made to need water, your soul, your heart, was made to need God. You were made to have your heart be satisfied with a real connection to the living God where you know Him and you experience Him, and you feel His presence. Just like your body won't be satisfied if you go for long without water, so your heart will get unsatisfied if you go for a while without experiencing God's presence. Now here's the good news. You all, every single person in this room, can experience God's presence. You can. This is good news. And it's because of what Jesus Christ came to do. See, we're all just like Adam and Eve. Remember Adam and Eve back in Genesis 3? They rebelled against God. And God, in his holiness and justice, had to exclude them from his presence. We've all rebelled against God. And God, in his holiness and justice, has had to exclude us from his presence because of our rebellion. But Jesus came to repair that. He came, he died on the cross paid for our rebellion, so that when, when, when we, when you, when I, repent of my sin and put my trust in Jesus, all my sins are forgiven, my rebellion is forgiven, and God welcomes me into his presence, and the moment that from the heart I repent and trust Jesus, I'm connected with God. I feel God's love for me. I sense his reality and his presence. And for the first time, my heart is satisfied. Now, I would guess some of you have never had your heart fully satisfied. You've thought lots of things would satisfy you. Friendships, career, sex, food, you know, money, new car, just, you know, hundreds of things. You've thought things would satisfy you. But none of those things ever fully satisfied you. I'll bet you that some of you have never been satisfied. But here's the good news. The reason is because you haven't been seeking your satisfaction in God. Just like your body will only be satisfied with water and will be thirsty without it, your heart will only be satisfied with God and you'll be thirsty without Him. You are made to be satisfied in knowing God. And so when you do repent of your rebellion against God and put your trust in Jesus Christ, he will change your heart and you will know him. You'll feel his love. You'll feel his forgiveness, his presence. You'll have a heart connection with the living God. Okay, now, the problem, though, 
is that as we, we live our Christian lives, we're trusting Jesus, we're walking with God, lots of different factors come into our lives which diminish our experience of God, right? I mean, like just getting tired or fighting some temptation or having a trial or having some problem. There's just a number of different factors in our lives that cause our heart sense of connectedness with God to diminish, right? Happens all the time. And so we all find times in our lives where we're not sensing God's nearness like we used to. I mean, Paul says in Romans 5 that God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But we all find times where it's been a while since I've experienced God pouring his very love into my heart by the Holy Spirit, right? Peter says in 1 Peter 1 that, that there are times when we can rejoice in Jesus with what he describes, this is amazing, joy unspeakable and full of glory. But we all find times where it's been a while since I've rejoiced in Jesus with joy unspeakable and full of glory, right? So we all find that there are times when we are not experiencing that connectedness and that heart closeness with God that we long for. Now, just to clarify, we don't live on the basis of how much we're feeling connected. We live on the basis of the unchanging truth of God's word, right? But the unchanging truth of God's word calls us to long for the feeling of connectedness. So we don't live on the feeling of God's presence, but we long for God's presence because that's what will satisfy our thirst. So all I'm saying is there's times when you've met the Lord genuinely, you love and know Jesus, you've experienced his work, but then there are times we will find when we've, we're lacking that. Okay, that's where David was at. And when, when David was in that place where he was lacking that sense of God's presence, he thirsted for God. He thirsted for God. And that's what we should do when we're in that place. We should thirst for God. Now, as I was thinking about this, I, I think I would guess that there's some of you here who are thirsting for God. You're thinking, yes, yes, keep going. Okay, I'll get there. Hang on. There's one more point I want to make, though, because there's probably some of you here who are not thirsting for God. Even some of you here who have experienced much nearness with God through Jesus in the past, but it's been a long time, and you've settled for less than what God has for you in terms of the amount of nearness that you can experience. I would, I would guess that there's some of you where you've settled for just kind of a version of the Christian life where you believe the doctrines and you obey the commands, but it's been a long, long time since you have felt anything for God in your heart, any love for Jesus in your heart, any sense of his nearness and his closeness. And so as I was just thinking about this first verse and talking about, thinking about David thirsting, it just struck me, some of you, you're not thirsting. Okay, so I just thought, what could I say that maybe would help you to thirst? So let me just try a little exercise here. Okay, put up with me on this one. All right? How many of you right now are physically thirsty? Okay, all right, maybe five. Okay, now let's try a little exercise here. This is a bottle of water, okay? I just want you to imagine what it would be like to take this top off. Okay, just imagine and to drink. Just just a little bit of this. Just imagine what it would feel like to drink this. Just a little bit. 
there's just something about water, you know, it's just really, really good. And just imagine what it would feel like just to feel that flowing over your tongue and your teeth and down your throat. Okay, you imagining that? And then, and then stop imagining that and imagine now how your mouth feels without that. Okay? Okay, wow, it's just, it's kind of dry. You know? Okay, now how many are thirsty? No, no, no. Okay, did, did anybody get thirsty with what I just said? I was at a total waste of time. Okay, do you get the point? Okay, now, those of you who've walked with Jesus for a while, isn't that how you stir up thirst for Jesus, thirst for God? You start by thinking about what it would be like. What does the word say we can experience in knowing God through Jesus? Like having his love poured into my heart by the Holy Spirit. That would be good. What would it be like to, ha- to experience joy in Jesus, 1 Peter 1, 7, joy unspeakable and full of glory, where I have so much joy in the person of Jesus, in his glory, that I can't even describe it, and it's just full of his glory. Okay, so start by thinking about what would it be like to experience the things that the scripture says are ours through the cross and through what Jesus has done. Think about that first, and then think about How long has it been? And how much am I not seeking that? When you do that prayerfully, the Holy Spirit will stir thirst in your heart. And so I've got good news for you, because if you've settled for a version of the Christian life, which is just believing certain truths and obeying certain commands, and if it's been a long time for you since your heart has felt anything of Jesus' nearness, anything of true worship of him, anything of his real love for you, not just believing that he loves you, as important as that is, but feeling his very love for you, if it's been a long time, I've got good news for you. Jesus loves to pour that out upon us. He's got a pitcher ready to pour that out upon you. He loves to pour that out upon you. But you got a thirst. You got a thirst. And so that's what David is doing here in this passage. He's thirsting for God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Okay, so what does David do about his thirst? You're thirsting. What does David do about his thirst? And again, verse 1, he says, my soul, or he says, earnestly, I seek you. He earnestly seeks God. So, first we saw David's thirsty, and then we see what David does in response to his thirst. He seeks. Okay, now what happens if you're thirsty and you don't seek for water? What'll happen? You'll stay thirsty, right? What happens if you're thirsty for God and you don't seek God? You'll stay thirsty. Seeking is vital. It's a vital part of the, your prayer life, and you'll see it throughout the Psalms. So I would guess, if I asked you what are some of the elements of prayer, I think we all would have said asking and confessing and praising, worshiping, thanking, maybe some others. But I wonder, would you have said seeking is a vital part of prayer? Is that one of the elements you would have listed? Let me ask it in a more pointed way. Have you had times this last week where in your prayer you were focusing on seeking God? 
a thirsty man seeking the water of the Holy Spirit, a thirsty woman seeking the water of the Holy Spirit. Have you had times this last week where you've sought God? That's what David does here. And and as I looked at this psalm, I see there's two parts of seeking. First, David expresses to God his desire for God. Again, it's right there in verse 1. Read it again. O God, you are my God. Do you ever ever talk to God that way in your prayer? You're my God. I'm not going anywhere else. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. This is how much I'm desiring you. My soul is thirsting for you. My flesh is fainting for you. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I'm like a... I'm like a man out in the desert with no water, no food. You're my water. You're my food. I'm longing for you that much. So this is a crucial part. If you're going to spend some time in prayer seeking God, part of that should mean you telling God directly, God, this is how much I desire you. Jesus, this is how much I long for you. So say that to God. Now, if if that's not common to you or if that feels awkward take psalm 63 1 and and use these words just pray them they are a prayer just pray them not in some kind of a superstitious ritualistic you know mumbo jumbo way but meaningfully oh god you are my god yes lord you are my god Earnestly I seek you. God, I'm I'm seeking you here. I'm earnest. I want you. I'm thirsting for you. My soul thirsts for you. I want to thirst for you more. Forgive me for getting settling for thirst, but I want more of you. So take time in your prayer and express to God your desire for God. That's the first thing I see David doing here. And then secondly, David remembers God and meditates on God. Verses 5 and 6. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And notice what a contrast between verse 5 and verse 1. Right? Here he is satisfied. Thirst is quenched. Why? Because of what he had just done in verse 6. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Okay, now don't miss that word, don't misunderstand the word meditate. Okay, the, the kind of meditation that satisfies your thirst for God isn't where you empty your mind of truth about God and try to work yourself up into some kind of a mystical state. Um, that's not the meditation that the scriptures talk about. The meditation that will satisfy your thirst for God is when you fill your mind with truth of who Jesus is, truth of who God is, and you Meditate on those. You think and you pray. You talk to God about who he is and what he's done. That's the kind of meditation that will satisfy your thirst. It's filling your mind with the truth of God as revealed in the scriptures. So here's what David might have done while lying on his bed. He's just just resting, lying on his bed, and he remembered God while he was lying on his bed. So maybe he, he remembered. He thought back about how God, like God, you created Adam and Eve. And just to me, out of nowhere, you gave them the gift of life out of nowhere, And then you gave them paradise, and you gave them food, and you gave them each other. Just this gushing forth of your goodness. God, you're so good. So David might have remembered how God did that with Adam and Eve. Or maybe David remembered the people of Israel in slavery in Egypt, crying out to God for deliverance. And God hears them. And then God goes to work, 
mighty signs and wonders, and he delivers them. So David's lying on his bed just remembering, oh God, I'm thinking about your goodness. I'm thinking about your power and signs and wonders. I'm thinking about your mercy and caring for the people of Israel. So he's lying on his bed just remembering who God is. That's one thing he did. And then he, on the night watches, he meditates on God. So he's up maybe at midnight, night watches, walking the walls of Jerusalem, and he's meditating on who God is. God, thinking about about your, your goodness. Just how good you are. You are a, a fountain, an ever-flowing fountain of goodness to anyone who will call upon you. And thinking about God's power creating the heavens and the earth. God's power parting the Red Sea. Or God's sovereignty and control of Cyrus and the nations and everything. So that's what David did. He's thirsting for God. It's been a long time since he has sensed a heart connection with God since God's poured his love into his heart, satisfied his heart with his presence. So he's, he's thirsting and he seeks God. And the way he seeks God is he says, God, this is how much I long for you. I'm thirsting for you. I desire you. And then he spends time remembering the truth of who God is in the word and meditating on God as he's revealed in the word. So that's what David does. And then notice how God responds to David. Right there in verse 2. So, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Okay, now, that verse begins with the word so. This this is showing the result of what David does in verse 1. Verse 1, David's thirsting for God, he's seeking God, and then because of that, so, thus, the result is that David looked upon God in the sanctuary and beheld God's power and glory. Now, I don't think that that means that David looked at God or saw God like physically. Okay? All through the Bible, there's two different kinds of sight talked about. Right? Like the worst that comes to my mind is Ephesians 1, I think it's 16 or 17, where Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened. Okay, we got, we got eyes in our heads, all right? Or we can, I can see you with the eyes of my head right now, I can see you. We've also got eyes of our hearts, Paul talks about. And that's what David is referring to here. As a result of his thirsting and seeking, telling God how much he desires him, meditating earnestly, thinking about who God is, God does something powerful for David and enables him to see God spiritually, experientially, in a, in a, in a feeling kind of way. Now, this is hard to understand, uh, to explain, okay, with words. If, if you've, trusted Jesus and been, been uh, saved and born again, have a new heart and a new nature. You know what I'm talking about because you've, you've tasted this. But let me try to explain it like this. David says, beholding your power and glory. It's one thing to read in the Bible that God has power and glory. We all have eyes and brains. We can read that. God has power and glory. Okay, It's, it's one thing to read that. That's really important to do. Keep doing that, it's vital. But there are times when, especially when you're seeking God, thirsting for God, crying out for God to meet you in a powerful way, there's times where as you are reading about God's power and glory, God will do something 
supernatural. And he lets you move from just understanding words, God is powerful and glorious, to seeing with the eyes of your heart. So you behold his very power and glory revealed to you through the truths of the scripture. You feel the reality of his power. You sense the beauty of his glory. You know God firsthand, experientially, spiritually. It's all through the scriptures, these two ways of of seeing. Now, we can't make this happen by our efforts. You can't grit your teeth. And this is a, a, a sovereign, gracious work that God will do in you frequently. He loves to do this for his people. We can't make this happen, but he usually does this in response to our thirsting and in response to our seeking. Here's just a little example how I experienced just a little taste of this this past week. I forget what day it was. It was Monday or Tuesday, I think, or maybe last Sunday, but I was walking around the creek near our house, and, um, and I wanted to pray for Jesus to save somebody who's in my extended family. And before I started praying for that, I, I just started to talk to Jesus about, about who he, who Jesus is. And I talked to Jesus about his, his goodness, just how, how good he was. And I was reflecting on when he uh, met the, the widow coming out of the city of Nain, whose only, the widow, her husband had already died, whose only son had just died. And remember what Jesus does? He feels compassion for her. And he raises the son from the dead and gives the son back to his widowed mother. And I was just talking to Jesus about how good he is. And then I was talking to Jesus about how powerful he was. And I thought about Lazarus in the tomb, a corpse. And Jesus just said, Lazarus, come forth. And boom, life was given to Lazarus from a corpse to alive. So I was just talking to Jesus about his goodness and about his power. And then I, I was talking about his sovereignty, that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Okay, so what was happening as I was talking to Jesus about these things was that I, I moved from just believing that Jesus is good, that Jesus is powerful, and that Jesus is sovereign. And I started to feel, you know how this is? The reality that Jesus, I mean, I was seeing Jesus' goodness. I was sensing his power. I was experiencing his the reality of his sovereignty. And what happened was I was just was filled up. <laughs> I was moving into that prayer time uh, discouraged and, and feeling low. And before I even got to what I wanted to pray about, the Lord just filled me, satisfied me, poured his goodness into my heart. So that's just a little bit of what David is experiencing in verse 2 where God, by his grace, enables David to look upon God, to, with the eyes of his heart, to see and sense and experience God's very power and glory. Okay, then I love the rest of the psalm. Notice how this affects David. Two ways it affects him. First, David is completely satisfied in God himself. Okay, notice this amazing contrast between verse 1, Oh God, I'm thirsting for you, my flesh faints for you, and verses 3 through 8. Total contrast. Start in verse 3. Because your steadfast love 
is better than life. Now notice, remember David's fleeing for his life here. His life is in danger here. But what just blows my mind is that's not the main focus of his prayer. We'll get to that in verses 9 through 11. But the main focus of his prayer is, I want to see you, I want to behold you. Knowing you is infinitely better than my physical well-being would be. And then God shows himself to David, and he says, your steadfast love is better than life. I don't know if I'm going to be killed or not, but I'm seeing your steadfast love, and that's better than life. My lips will praise you. I'll bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed, meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help in the shadow of your wings, that nearness, that closeness. I will sing for joy. So he's gone from thirsting and fainting and seeking to finding and celebrating and reveling in what he has. That's one result of this, is that he's completely satisfied in God himself. There's a second result here, and that is He's completely confident in God's promises. Remember, David's fleeing for his life, okay? David's thirst was not focused on his physical well-being, but is focused on God. And when David thirsted for God and sought God, God let David see and feel and behold firsthand, experientially, his very power and glory. So he knew He knew, there you are, God. You are awesome. I I see you, feel you, sense you firsthand. And the result that that had on David was, you've experienced this. When you have those times where you experience the Holy Spirit making God the Father, making God the Son real to you, you know that God will keep his promises. Right? You, You just know. And this is what you see David saying. Because God had promised David, you're going to be the king. I'll spare your life as long as your purposes are for this generation. And so that's what David's exulting in in verses 8 through 11. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals to eat because of God's promise. But the king, David, shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him, by God, shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Now here's what I want to encourage you with. I would guess that many of you feel fear about the economy and about your jobs, either the the future of your job or whether you're ever going to get a job or whether you're going to be able to pay your bills. You know, the media is full of bad news, and there's bad news. Things are, are very difficult now. But I remember back when, when I was, when we just first moved up here and, and the Lord wanted us to, we did real estate for a couple of years to pay the bills while the church got started. And I remember a couple of times when things were, were looking very bleak financially, just at the very beginning. Um, one time when I was walking by the trail, by the creek, a long time ago, and, um, and I knew the promises. God will provide all my needs according to his riches and glory, Philippians 4.19. Matthew 6, 33, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And I knew those promises. But there were times when in my thirst and my seeking of God, God let me 
experience his love. And coming from that, because you experienced God in that way, I knew. I knew that God was going to provide for me as much as if I had $10 billion sitting in the bank right now. Right? Because you behold God. And faith is built and certainty comes and established. That's what David's experiencing here. So there's two results that come from this. One is you're completely satisfied in God yourself. Your heart thirst is quenched. And you're completely confident that every other concern you have will be met by God and his faithful promises. So you are set. You see that? Your heart thirst is quenched. God has met you, has poured his love into your heart, has shined the light of Jesus' glory into your soul. Um, rivers of living water pouring into your heart. There's all kinds of ways that the scriptures describe it. So you've met God in the person of Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit. Your heart is satisfied. And all your other concerns are addressed by God's promises, which you know he will keep. You are set. Okay, so what does this mean for us? Three implications. First of all, don't settle for thirst. How long are you going to keep being thirsty without seeking? Don't settle for thirst. Jesus is standing there with a the bottle of water. It's much bigger than this. It's big. Rivers of living water, okay? Don't settle for being thirsty. On the authority of God's word, Jesus says, John 7, He who believes in me, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's what the word says, what Jesus taught. Are you settling for going without that? He wants to give that to you. He promises he will give it to you. Don't settle for thirst. Why stay thirsty? You've been on the mountain bike for an hour. The water bottle is there. Okay? Second, trust that as you seek God through Jesus, he will satisfy you. You got to trust that. He's, he promises to do that. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Deuteronomy 4, Jeremiah 29. Trust that he will. I love John 6.35. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. It's a promise. So trust him. I know when your heart is thirsty, when you're feeling like it's been a long time since I've had God pour his love into my heart, when you're there, you can feel like this heart's never going to change. I'm never going to feel any different. Because look at I mean, this is how I, this is my reality. This is all the reality that I know. It's been a long time. Well, let the word be your reality. Jesus promises the one who raised a corpse from the dead in Lazarus can raise that corpse of a heart to life, new life, if you'll seek him. So trust him. And then third, would you make seeking a regular part of your prayer life? That's what I want to encourage you to do. I, I would guess most all of you ask, and most all of you thank, and most all of you praise. But, but do you seek? Do you set aside time where 
you're going to seek God in prayer now for a portion of time. Tell him how much you desire him and intentionally remember his mighty works and meditate on who he is, asking him to make his glory and power real to you in your heart. Do you do that? David did that. Do you see how David does that? It's in the book. Okay? We're living the book. Seeking is in the book. So start seeking. Make that a regular time in your prayer life. I I get very excited. If you haven't been seeking the Lord, and you've been settling for thirst, and you start putting time aside to seek the Lord, I'm very excited for what you're going to be experiencing. In fact, I want us to come back next Sunday and talk about what's happened as we've spent time seeking the Lord. So make seeking a regular part. Now here's what I want us to do. I want us to do a little lab right now. Okay, you know, you got your lecture and you got your lab, all right? Hello, in school, do a little school thing here. Say that right, lecture and lab. Okay, so I want to, you know, we get so busy and you can hear me talk and okay, and and you leave and you can forget what I said when you're driving away. So I'm not going to let you do that quite as easily. Um, I want to take some time right now and let's do this right now, all of us here. And I'm not going to make you stand up and do anything. Just sit right there and you can be perfectly silent. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to take some time right now and seek the Lord. And just like five, six, seven minutes, I'm going to lead us and then give you some time to pray and to talk to God through Jesus yourself. Now let me just lay the foundation again. The reason that you can come to God is because of Jesus. If you've like had a really lousy morning and you're yelling at your wife on the way over here and you know you threw your cat out the back door and 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 okay, you can still come to God. Yes, even with the throwing at the cat, okay? Not it's not because of how good you've been so far this morning. It's because you're trusting Jesus from the heart and that you're sorry you yelled at your wife and about the cat, okay? But you're from the heart saying, Jesus, I, I want you to forgive me and I want to come into your presence. I want to know the living God through you right now. And so no matter what this morning has been like, you can come to God right now through Jesus. Do you understand that? No matter how long it's been, no matter what this morning was like, even if you've never given God the time of day, if you'll take him seriously now and own up to who Jesus is now, you could come and you could connect with God right now, not because of any righteousness in you or goodness in you or spirituality in you, but because of Jesus being punished in your place on the cross. So God, I pray that you'd come upon us right now. This might feel a little awkward. I don't want it to feel artificial or canned or anything like that, but I I pray, Lord, would you give us just a little taste and just so we can kind of get the feel of what this might look like and feel like so that tonight or this afternoon or tomorrow morning we'll we'll think about taking maybe five minutes to seek you as part of prayer. So would you come and help us right now? And Jesus, we thank you for the cross. The only reason any of us can know you, can know God in you, is, is because of your death for us. And we thank you that we can be forgiven for everything and clothed in your righteousness. So come upon us now. Now, I would I usually start by just taking some time to, to express to God, to Jesus, how much I long for a connection with Jesus, with the Father. So here, here's how I might pray. 
I mean, I, I pray Psalm 63 one. I memorized this psalm specifically for this purpose. So I might just, here's how I might pray. Just say, God, you are my God. And what that means is, you are the only heart satisfaction I have. Nothing else will satisfy me. And I'm, 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 I'm not satisfied in you now. I'm longing for you. I'm thirsting for you. I'm, I'm hungry for you. I might pray Psalm 73, which says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. And I usually say, it's not entirely true, Lord. Uh, I, I wish it were true. Lots of other idols, like Darla shared earlier, lots of other things I can seek for my satisfaction. But truth is, there is nothing on earth I should desire besides you. So help me now. So I would just take some time and express my desire for God or for Jesus. So why don't you take some time right now and just express your desire, your thirst for God, for for Jesus. Go ahead and just in the quietness of your heart, talk to him now through Jesus. Do that. If you don't if you don't desire him much, confess that to him and ask him to help you. He'll meet you there and, and go to work there. Okay, you could keep doing that longer, I know, but let me just move ahead to the next thing that I, that I usually do, and that is talk to God the Father, talk to Jesus about what the Bible teaches. And I mean, the Old Testament is full of God's mighty works that you could just celebrate, just talk to God about his deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt. Celebrate his protection of David as Absalom and Saul were seeking his life. Celebrate the way he delivers Daniel and reveals not just the interpretation, but also the dream in Daniel chapter 2. And then the whole life of Jesus. I mean, I, I've enjoyed recently talking to Jesus about like his calming the wind and the waves with a word, this howling gale. And Jesus stands up in the boat and says, peace be still, and instantly there is calm. And so just, so it's not just you thinking these truths, but it's talking to Jesus about his power. Just talking to him about his power. Or think about, you could talk to him about his compassion when he took the five loaves and the two fish and multiplied it for thousands of people. There's kind of a combination of compassion for the people that are hungry and then his power. But remember what Jesus did and meditate on what Jesus did and talk to him about what he did and ask him, help me to see these more clearly. Enlighten the eyes of my heart. Reveal yourself to me through the truth of your word more clearly. And as you earnestly remember God's mighty works, Jesus' mighty works, and then as you, as you meditate on, like Jesus' love as displayed on the cross, just talk to Jesus about his compassion and love and mercy in dying on the cross and his authority over everything that is. Everything was created by him, through him, and for him. So as you, as you do this, prayerfully, earnestly, seekingly, 
often God will pour out his Holy Spirit upon you so that you're, you're tasting the reality, you're feeling, you're beholding spiritually, you're loving his glory, you're loving his goodness, you're desiring his praise. So do that right now. Just take some time right now. Remember his mighty works. Meditate on who he is. Prayerfully. This is one of the reasons that the Word of God is such a prize because you don't need to just rely on your own memory or what's in your brain, but you can open up. I mean, I usually do this with my Bible open because it's helpful for me to see the words right there as to who God is, who Jesus is. So Lord, I pray that what just, just the little bit that we've done here would, would move us into more lengthy time this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow. I pray, Lord, that the next time we come home from a day at work and we're frustrated and feeling just kind of empty, that instead of doing something else, we would seek you. We'd recognize what's happening in our heart as thirst for you. And that we would seek your face like David does here. And that you would enable us to look upon you and to behold your very power and glory and be satisfied and be confident in your promises. So I pray, Lord, that seeking would become a hallmark of our prayer lives here at Mercy Hill Church, and that this summer would be full of times of seeking and finding. Thank you for David's example, and thank you for the power of your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.